right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You know, we got past that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Big sigh of relief. The Chiefs season is not officially dead, at least just yet. They find a way to beat the New York Giants yesterday, 20-17. to 17. Adam, literally yesterday on the show, we were talking about, you know, what would make you feel good, what would uh, not really make you feel good even in a win. The exact score that you said was if they win like 21-17 to 17 or something and need some late fourth quarter heroics, you're not going to feel great about that. Sure enough, they win 20-17. to 17. And then this is also, I found this clip. I couldn't find that clip, but I did find this clip from yesterday. It would be disappointing if it's if it's even close. I think we both kind of yes. summed it up saying that. Yes. If if the Chiefs walk out of this game and they had to kick a field goal to win or they had to stop the Giants on fourth down and eight from their own 40 up by four or something like that to win the game like that, that is kind of a disappointment because you would get a win, which would make you feel okay, but you would not feel like things have gotten better. So... It uh, how convenient you you find the clip of the uh, of your <laughs> <Right>. prediction, <laughs> but my I, I appreciate you you acknowledge my what I said, but how convenient you find mm-hmm. a clip of of what you said. Yeah, Harrison Butker. Not only did he did they need a Harrison Butker field goal, they needed two of them. Yeah, because wasn't it both of those drives? I know on the the one that put them up twenty seventeen, um, they they had to, they got sacked, but didn't they mm-hmm. take a sack? Ahead of the Harrison Butker field goal to make it seventeen all, I think, I can't I think that was a strip or just, sack. Okay, mm, yeah, that they recovered. I think you're right. Yeah, Trace. Yeah, Trace Smith recovered it. Yeah, they had to, they got sacked both times. Golly, and I don't know. I, that that was as bad. That was as as ups, I, I don't know if upsetting is the right word. As unenthusiastic as I could possibly have come away from a win is exactly what happened last night. I mean, I'm I'm. I feel better than I would have if we were yeah. sitting there with a loss, but I, I don't know. I just I don't see. I guess, and, and we'll get into the defense here. I imagine in this segment playing better, but I don't know that what the defense did is sustainable. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, and so, to me, I mean, I almost would have felt better if it was if he had to have a three point game. I would have been better if it was thirty eight thirty five. Hmm, that's an interesting discussion. I I think overall you feel like the offense is more fixable. That could be, thing. yeah, that's true. So you feel better about this, but it also makes you feel worse because it's like, oh no, the thing we thought was kind of untenable, the thing that we thought was unbreakable is starting to look a little broken, and that's a little scary. But the defense did come to play, and you know, will that happen against decent offenses? Because so far... The only two, I guess, solid defensive performances you've seen so far are against the Giants and the Washington football team who have two of the worst offenses in the NFL. 
So will that continue against good offenses, even decent offenses? I don't know. Probably not, and probably not against the Packers this week. Uh, Daniel Sorensen continues to be an issue. He ben got, Neiman. He got whooped on yeah, that touchdown. Deep ball on, on the touchdown on the little out route. Ben Neiman somehow played more snaps than Willie Gay. And Willie Gay, this is back-to-back weeks with an interception. He played 73% of the snaps, Derek. Back-to-back weeks with an interception for Willie Gay. Um, Willie Gay has made some nice tackles in the running game. For whatever reason, Ben Neiman continues to play a high amount. Him and Daniel Sorensen are, I don't know, they have incriminating pictures on Steve Spagnuolo or something. Um, So I guess it's better to do what they did against the Giants than what happened against the Eagles, which was... Still, you played a bad offense, and they did well, so that is a positive moving forward, but there's still holes overall that you don't necessarily trust the defense in a big game, but it is nice to see guys like Willie Gay play better, even though they need to play more. I just, I, I can't figure out um, what it is that, that Steve Spagnuolo, see, the only thing I can figure out is beyond potential blackmail, um, it is that maybe there's just something about his, you know, Spagnuolo's defense that Neiman and Sorensen understand on paper, like they can they can sit down and, and really diagnose everything they need to do in film and on paper, and that's fantastic. It's great that they're knowledgeable of the defense, but the problem is it doesn't matter if you know exactly where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there if you're not athletic enough to get there. Yes. Now, I, I will say, at the very least, it feels like Willie Gay is starting to play more, so maybe... Eventually, he gets over that hill where he is playing more than Ben Neiman. Neiman I, w- I would certainly hope so. Uh, certainly, Nick Bolton continues to impress in the running game. You have questions in the passing game. But now, if you have Willie Gay and Nick Bolton, you feel a lot better about the linebacking core if those guys are playing more and continuing to progress. As far as the other positions on the field, we know what the secondary is. You know, the, there's some flawed players who have issues, but you haven't invested a ton, at least in the cornerback room. So you can't really complain about it, right? Uh, you would have loved to see. Uh, you know, Legarius Sneed not fall down a couple times, including the yeah, one that, that would have been, been a pick, pick six. six. Yeah, the one that annoyed me, probably the play that annoyed me the most, and the Chiefs got so lucky on it. It wasn't Booker; it was the other. Um, it was the other sort of hybrid running back that the Giants employ, and I can't remember his name. But it was late in the game. Uh, they hit him on a little screen, and he ran right by Charverius Ward, and Charverius Ward pushed him on the back mm-hmm. in the direction that he was already running. Like, here, man, let me help you get a yeah. – let me give you a little boost behind you. Yeah, he like, didn't go for a tackle. He just gave him a little shove in the back to say, here you go, man. Let me help give you a little quick Mario Kart mushroom boost. And the <laughs> Chiefs got lucky on that play on a garbage, unsportsmanlike conduct call because the guy got his – you know, he, he got, I think, a 20-yard gain off, his, off of a screen. He threw the ball down, gave a little flex – I guess to the ref, it looked like he flexed in the face of a Chiefs player. I don't know. It was a maybe by the letter of the law, it was the right call, but it was it was kind of an embarrassing, um, unsportsmanlike penalty call. But the, the Chiefs were helped along by that, and it kind of masked what an awful attempt at a tackle that was by Traverius Ward. I thought um, Chris Jones playing more on the interior had a big impact on the Chiefs defense playing a lot better. You saw. Some you think more it helped rush. Clark? I think it did. I mean, that was Frank Clark's best game. He had five pressures in that game, which I think is more than he's had all season long. Yeah, and he got that the basically the sack that that sealed it. I I mean, he I I agree completely that it was his best game. I just wonder, and I don't have an answer one way or the other. I just think it's an interesting concept to wonder out loud. Um, 
was Chris Jones going back to the middle? Because everybody thought, I think, well, I don't know if everybody thought, but the theory behind Chris Jones going to defensive end was to give Frank Clark a break on the other side and force them to pick one or the other. And Chris Jones obviously has been really bad on, on defensive end, even though he spent some time there last night. He spent quite a bit of time in the middle, though. Um, and it seems like Chris Jones being back in the middle, I don't know if it was if it's you know causation or correlation, but it certainly correlated at the very least with Frank Clark having his best game. Yeah, so I, I think there is something there to that that it opens up a lot more for this defense. And I think the idea originally was you bring in Jaron Reed, who's supposed to be a good pass rushing defensive tackle. Well, that ain't working. So you have to get something out there. So that is a positive, and you can at least – like, that's the thing. You can take stuff from this game and say, well, the Chiefs' defense played well, and here's why, which would lead you to believe there's room for improvement. Chris Jones moved to a different position. Willie Gay started to play more. Those are things that are tangible differences in what yeah. they were earlier, and that has to make you feel better at the very least. But the offense, which we mentioned, it's got issues right now. Um, I kind of think until, and I don't even think this is just a one-game thing, this might have to be a, a month-long thing, a couple handfuls I, I don't know how long you have to go with this. The Chiefs are going to have to commit, like legitimately commit to winning games, uh, multiple in succession, having offensive success on the backs of dumping it off, taking short passes, taking running plays. Because right now, every defense, we keep hearing about it. They're playing the too high safety. They're playing man-to-man. -man. They're saying we're going to keep everything or in front of us. We're not going to allow the big play, and we're not going to allow the big home scramble and throw it downfield. If you want to get four or five-yard slant routes and four-yard runs every play, we're going to let you do it because one of two things we think is going to happen. Either you're going to run out of patience or you're going to throw a tipped interception or have a fumble. Or there's going to be from. a hold. Yes. And, you'll, and you won't be able to recover from yes. that. Yes. One of those three things, I guess, is going to happen. And like you said, you're not going to be able to recover from it. And so far, there have been times where it feels like, like the one drive where they score a touchdown where Derek Gore gets the touchdown, it felt like, okay, the Chiefs are finally being patient enough. They're the, just running the ball and they're saying, well, we're going to take what you give you. I felt the exact same way about the drive that ended in the interception. Yeah. And that was, and I know I haven't seen people's reaction to that. To me, I know a lot of times when there's a tip pass, uh, people are, are reluctant to blame the quarterback. I, I, I put that interception on Mahomes because I don't even know who he was throwing it to. He threw it behind Josh Gordon and just right on the face mask of, um, I think it was Jet McKinnon. Yeah, McKinnon. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I just I feel like in that I don't know. I, I, I put that on Mahomes because I just I don't know who he was throwing to. And if he was throwing at that receiver, then he I don't know. He 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 zipped it in too hard. He was at like the five yard line. But I even up until that moment, I felt good about that, you know, about that drive. They yeah. were they were running, they were taking short um they were using McCole Hardman the way that they used to use Tyreek Hill before they realized what a great receiver he was. They were taking all of that, and they were getting 8, 10 yards at a chunk, and that's fantastic. It's almost like they do that one or two drives, or they do that for, like there were times where you know they were patient, they would do it for two first downs, and then they would lose that patience. It's almost like they were just thinking, hey, if we just do this right for one or two drives, they'll back off. But yeah. it's not going to be that simple. I think you legitimately have to commit to this. for It might be a month span. It might be the rest of the season. You have to plan on playing like this, and we just haven't seen I, – like, I don't I don't really know who's to blame here. Is it 
on Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy for not being patient enough as play callers? Is it on Patrick Mahomes for not being patient enough to constantly take the check down and the short passes? Is it on uh, the Chiefs' secondary options for not having that secondary receiver that you look at being kind of the possession guy in the intermediate routes? Is it on Brett Veach for not putting together a roster with that secondary option outside of Travis Kelsey and, and Tyreek Hill? I, I don't know. Maybe it's a combination of everyone. The running back, um, I forget his Eric name. Gore? Gore, yeah. Gore was, uh, Gore's was you know who he was reminding me of last night was Jackie Battle. From kind of <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like when, that. when in like 2011 particular when everyone's going, oh, God. You know, Jamal Charles is out. What are we going to do? And Battle was just pushing through, Solid. and, and yeah. he didn't look. You know, he wasn't he wasn't busting through with all these you know fifty five yard touchdown runs. He didn't have that escape that explosibility. Um, explosive. He he wasn't explosive. Yeah, explosiveness. Thank That's you. Anyway, yeah. he he wasn't going to get huge you know runs like that. But he was he was getting he was knocking off six seven yards. Um, and I, that's who I kept thinking about was Jackie battle and they were taking that. And then all of a sudden they weren't. Yeah. So I, I don't understand why not, because here's the other thing, like the chiefs offensive line, if you look at like block rates and pro football focus, they have a good run blocking team. Yeah. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they brought in particularly with Orlando Brown. No, they got in a guy who's used to run blocking and everybody you brought in, you like Trey Smith, good run blocker. Um, and so when defenses, you combine that with defenses, the way they're playing, like I know it doesn't sound sexy and I know so much has gone away from running the football and stuff, right? But at some point when the defense is literally saying, hey, we want you to run the ball, run the ball, you know? We we talked yesterday very briefly about is it, you know, is it scary to think that Andy Reid, even though there is an official general manager, is it scary to think that uh, – um, Andy Reid is getting more and more of a say in what goes on with personnel decisions. Which, by the way, Melvin Ingram is a chief now, so you wonder how much of, of a hand he dealt in that. And we talked about, you know, that kind of turned into his eventual downfall in Philadelphia. But another uh, argument or another knock on Andy Reid in Philadelphia was how much he didn't run the ball. I guess I, I worded that very poorly. Is is how little he ran the ball, and. Look, I I'm not gonna pretend like the you know passing is is I mean, Andy Reid also got and and deservedly so got a ton of credit for being ahead of the curve in in passing much more than running and not just taking three yards in a cloud of dust. So I'm I'm you know I'm not saying this needs to turn into a Marty Schottenheimer offense, but I do think um, as long as teams are playing you like this, you just you need to take what's out there, and you can do it with. You know, the, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was was a huge draft pick, but they've kind of proven they can do it with lesser draft picks. Yeah, and I, I think for the first time we have like re, there's real criticisms out there of Patrick Mahomes. It's it's a couple things. It's one working the pocket better. Um, that's still a continued thing, and I thought it was a little better, but there were still times like uh, the one play where um, I forget if it was second or third down. Bef- uh, I don't remember if they ended up getting a touchdown or a field goal, but there's a play where Mahomes. Um, tries to step up into the pocket, but instead of just stepping up straight and then hitting Kelsey, who was open over the middle, he steps up and darts out to the left. And oh, he yeah. He gets chased down, and he gets hit by the, the like the defensive back who appeared to be like QB spying him or something. Like, those types of plays. And then on top of that, it's... Because this is the thing. When, everything we're talking about with taking what the defense is giving you, taking the checkdowns, taking the easy passes, taking the little four or five-yard routes that goes in line with running the football. 
Like that that is the biggest thing that Tom Brady does probably better than any quarterback in NFL history and it wins you a lot of games, right? If you're going to give me a 4 or 5 yard slant route every single play, I'll take it. And then you're going to run into two teams that just don't have the personnel mm-hmm. to guard you deep. Yeah. And so that's that's going to allow for you know, I mean a perfect example is when uh, Bob Sutton kept insisting on putting Justin Houston on Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> if you're patient, then eventually you're going to run. Whether Maybe it doesn't happen in one individual game. Maybe you have to have a full game where you only throw for 250 yards. But you're going to come upon certain opponents that just don't have the personnel to play you a certain way, and you can become more explosive. And that's, I don't know, it, it, the, the, the play that I got really frustrated with Mahomes on was this was third down, and he didn't step up. He got out of the pocket, and eventually, be, or you know, immediately, became you know scrambling for his life. And he got to the sideline and actually made a pretty impressive throw that went. I mean, it was just kind of a straight shot down the sideline. It was dry. Well, it wasn't dry. McCole Hardman. It was an incomplete pass, and McCole Hardman was the intended receiver, but he was double covered, and. That's just not – I appreciate him going for it, but he also – he just left the pocket right away. And that's not a play – that's a play that you try to make on a desperation fourth down, mm-hmm. you know, when you need it. And if it doesn't work out, oh, well, we're, we're, we're going to win the game anyway. But the game was still on the line at that point. I don't know. That that was the that was the play to me that kind of summed up that Mahomes has still not figured out, you know, just lay back a little bit, man. And that's the scariest part of that game, that the offense was not in tune yet again. And this is going back, I don't know what, you have the Bills game, you have the Titans game, you have this game where it just hasn't really looked right. Uh, For four weeks, they look like one of the best offenses in the history of the NFL. Yeah, and how quickly things can change, but how quickly things can change back too, right? Like, if they start doing these things, all of a sudden they have success, and then all of a sudden we're going to get back to this point where it's like, okay, they figured it out, now good luck stopping the Chiefs, it just... I think takes some self-patience. But uh, overall, uh, honestly, nothing might tell you more than this game than uh, as key as anybody of a character in this game was Joe Judge for time mismanagement, not going forward on fourth downs when maybe he could have had an opportunity against the Chiefs. But in the end, it was a win for the Chiefs, which is good. Certainly a loss would have been doomsday. It might have been a feeling like it was, yeah, this team's for sure not making the playoffs. So that's a positive, but you also don't really feel that much better about the team even despite the win, especially with the Packers next week. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Lance Leipold spoke with the media earlier today ahead of KU's game against Kansas State. We'll share some of that audio for you next. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com with Adam Dravetta. Derek Johnson will be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 247 Sports coming up at 440. And then Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World. KUSports.com will come on at five o'clock. It was KU Basketball Media Day um, today. So we have some Bill Self audio. I don't know if we'll get to it today. We might play it tomorrow in lead up to the. KU Emporia State exhibition game. It's probably what's going to end up happening. We have a bunch of player audio as well. I think talked to, I don't know, eight or so different of the KU basketball players and asked them mostly stupid questions. Uh, so let's get going now with our college football whip around. 
All right, first up, Texas coach monkey situation. This sounds absolutely absurd. I'm hearing this. Uh, for anybody hearing this for the first time, I'm hearing it for the first time with you. I looked at the show rundown today and went, huh? And uh, I got really excited. So I purposely avoided looking up this story. Okay, Texas special teams coach, his name is Jeff Banks. He was not just, I mean, a special teams coach at Texas, but Washington State has a uh, opening for their head coach position after Nick Rolovich is out. And he was considered a real candidate for the position. But it doesn't seem like that might be the case anymore. So let's go back to the beginning here with the story. Banks, his girlfriend, who he left his wife and three children for, like I guess that's not really leaving your children. Like I'm sure he still sees them. I don't know. Uh, Daniel Danielle Thomas, her nickname is Pole Assassin. She is a professional pole dancer, who, as you imagine, I don't know, is that just like a professional way of saying stripper? I know that there's they differentiate those things because they actually have pole dancing mm-hmm. competitions mm. and such, and so I they they differentiate those. Okay, but I I can't blame anybody for associating the two. <laughs> okay, well we'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Um, but she was once but on hey, Jerry Springer. You know Nothing wrong with being a stripper. No, on. hey, whatever pays the bills. Hey, for all we know, uh, she was at Allen Fieldhouse with Snoop Dogg. I don't Possible. know. Not, Those were acrobatic dancers. Well, yeah. Is there a difference between professional pole dancer and acrobatic dancers? By Snoop Dogg standards, okay. no. <laughs> um, so anyway, at this house, which they lived together at, they had a haunted house. And some kid went through the... Because the haunted house was like the side of the house and you kind of go through. And there was a like gate door that said like do not enter and it wasn't just like a spooky Halloween sign it was like legitimately like do not enter because it goes into their backyard outside of the Halloween uh, or the haunted house so the kid got through here and a video was taken by Danielle Thomas of this afterwards to show like how far he had to walk he had to walk through all the way the backyard and then to the other side of the house and she has a cage there and it has another gate on it and the sign it says do not enter um you know, or beware of animal or something like that. And the kid entered. And then on top of that, once you enter that gate, there is a monkey cage and the monkey lives in the cage, Um, which was weird. As Thomas pointed out in the video, monkeys in the cage. The only way he could have got this kid could have got bit was if he stuck his hand in the cage and, you know, he got bit. But apparently that is what happened. Um, And the kid got bit. So, now this is like all in the news. I, I don't know if they're going to get sued or something, but again, I, I don't know how much you can prove. That's not really the important part here. Banks again was a legit coaching candidate for Washington state. He punted there uh, from 1996 to 1997. He began his coaching career there as a graduate assistant. And even if the whole media storm of just all this stuff coming out, isn't enough, this is a state law in Washington. It is illegal to possess potentially dangerous wild animals such as monkeys, bears, tigers, and venomous snakes. So if he takes the job, he's got to leave Danielle Thomas and his monkey or her monkey. Yeah, it's either it's mm-hmm. either she comes with him and leaves the monkey, or he goes solo and finds another mm. uh, pole. What's her name? Pole mistress. Uh, pole assassin. <laughs> she, he finds another pole assassin. She kills in, the pole. That's how good she is. In pole men. Mm. Um, I uh, that's weird, man. When you first said it, I was kind of on the kid side. Begin. I don't know how old this kid is, but he's like eleven or twelve. 
See, at first I was on his side because if I see a beware do not enter sign in a haunted house, I'm thinking, oh, I'm supposed to go that way. That's, you know what I mean? Like, if, you, if first off, just don't put your haunted house path anywhere near that door that you're not supposed mm-hmm. to go through. But then the more they had kind of things even beyond it, uh, tells me that the kid kind of kept going through signs. First one you see, oh, wait, you know, if you first see a sign in a haunted house that says, beware, you know, do not enter, I think, okay, this must be part of the haunted house. But then when you go through and all of a sudden you're outside and you see other signs, then it's like, oh, wait, I actually did make a mistake. That was a legit sign. But... I think most of the blame goes on this couple because don't just don't. I assume the haunted house was set set up as like a maze. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. Yeah, I would guess yeah. so. But just don't set up the pathway anywhere near that door, and you completely avoid this situation. Yeah. Um. I don't even think this should disqualify him from the head coaching job, though. Right? No. I mean, as the only thing that should disqualify him is is if you know if he plans on bringing the monkey. But the, the law is clearly laid out. Just don't bring the monkey and you're fine. Could you imagine if they would have hired him and then he would have got fired after they found out that he had a monkey, which was illegal in the state of Washington, and the last two coaches would have been fired for the first one not getting the vaccine, the second one for having a monkey? I would have been more interested to see if they, like Not on-field results. I, I don't know if, if Mike Leach is vaccinated or not. I don't know what the laws are in, in Mississippi or if Mike Leach got vaccinated but i would have been more interested to see would they have fired mike leach had mm. what i like would they have held to that or they would they have found a way around it because sports matter a lot and uh that would have been more interesting yeah. but on this topic no i think it's very simple you know no he's, he shouldn't be out of the running for the job but they need to make it very clear uh mr what's his name what's the coach uh banks mr banks, banks your monkey can't come with you mm. Uh, Staying in the Pacific Northwest, Washington's head coach, Jimmy Lake, on the Oregon rivalry on the recruiting trail. Quote, that is way more pumped up than it is. Our battles are really the schools that we go against have academic prowess, like the University of Washington, Notre Dame, Stanford, USC. We go toe-to-toe all the way to the end with those schools. So I think that's made up and pumped in to your world. In our world, we battle more academically prowess teams. So I mean, it, it, what's what's Washington's record right now? Because usually I think they're four and four. Okay, that's something that coaches jump on when they when they're not good. Um, yeah, I'm you know I I think look those are all very good academic schools that he mm-hmm. named, and I I don't know what Washington thought of themselves or you know if, if they're a great academic institution. I, I don't follow these things mm-hmm. very closely. I know that le- that's becoming less and less of an issue at least in this part of the country because I know that when the uh, Southwest Conference dissolved, and back when the SEC won in Texas in the first time in the 90s, Texas thumbed their nose at them and looked down on them by thinking that uh, we're above the SEC academically, and Texas either view, you know, views that they no longer are or they just don't care anymore. Um, so to that point, I mean, but you can compete. Look, Notre Dame's doing fine. Stanford is struggling recently, but... I mean, those schools have had success. Even under Chris Peterson, Washington had success despite maintaining academic standards. So I think that's just kind of an excuse when, when you say another team's beating us. Well, they've got, you know, we, we have recruiting, you know, we have less, you know, we have a recruiting disadvantage because we only take in um, academically, you know, superior kids. I just viewed it as being petty. Like you're being petty to a rival like, oh, 
you're not academically good enough to recruit the same kids we are. Like, sorry, we're not only worried about getting the five stars. We're worried about getting the three stars who have a 4.0 GPA. Like, that's what matters to us. We're building men. Which, for the record, Berkeley, UC Berkeley, which is a renowned, you know, institution, uh, just did away with standardized testing scores. (laughs) So they, I mean... And, and not for the purpose of sports, but for the purpose mm-hmm. of realizing that standardized testing means less and less than every, people thought it did. So, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know. Yeah, I, I bristle at that, and I think he's kind of just looking to distract from the fact that his team is 500. Coaching news. Um, Clay Helton is headed to Georgia Southern, which that'll be interesting. That's a team who I'm pretty sure has been running, like, triple options. That'll be way different. Or it's like a speed option, um, spread option. Uh, Dan Mullen is maybe trending toward losing his job. They're 4-4 four and four now at Florida. 2-7 and seven the last nine Power 5 games that they've played. Um, lately, he's been in the news cycle because doesn't really seem to, to care about recruiting as much. Kirby Smart, after the game when they beat Florida, uh, kind of threw shade at him because he mentioned how, you know, he doesn't focus maybe as much as recruiting. It's more about, you know, the X's and O's and development and all this stuff. And Kirby Smart kind of threw shade and saying, like, um, yeah, you know what? I can be the best coach in the world, but it's all up to the players that we recruit and bring in on Saturday, which I thought was funny. And then this week, Dan Mullen made more comments kind of about that he's not worried about recruiting and that, you know, they'll worry about recruiting after the season, which good luck to you. So is Dan Mullen the next high-profile coach to lose his job, and how good of a job is that? I think Florida's a really good job. It's been shown you can— the the standard for me with with a co- with any job is have have multiple coaches won a national title there and the answer at Florida is yes. Um, now I I don't know if the SEC as a whole has insane standards because of how great Saban has been. So everybody's kind of you know you got to watch your back if you go nine and three, but you can win a national title at Florida and um, I kind of thought Dan Mullen would. So I don't know it's. Those are some some interesting quotes, but I, I I wouldn't be stunned if he lost his job. And and I, I I'll I'll say yes. Have they played Missouri yet? Um, I don't know because that would be a that would be an interesting measuring stick because Missouri is is a program that's hoping to be on the up with with a coach that's only in his second year. Um, and Mullen's been there for what three years now? I think so. And. I- I don't know. That that would be. I don't know. I, I think the time the, the time's ticking on Mullen. I think if he, I'm not saying he needed to win a national title this year, but I think they were expecting ten wins. Yeah, a hundred percent. Who knows? The, the last four games they play, I don't think there's anything crazy on there. They've got the Alabama games, the Georgia games out of the way, so that's good for them. They can finish up eight and four. Then you know you feel like you have some momentum heading into they next got season. By yes, they did, and. I wouldn't be surprised if he's fired. I think he's going to make it out of this year. But I think patience wears thin on guys like Dan Mullen and Jim Harbaugh, who they're not always known as being like the easiest guys to maybe work for. And sometimes they can be kind of agitating in the media to where that might maybe makes it just a little bit harder. Yeah, not being not being kind of prickly helps you. Mm-hmm. Like nine and three... Think of how what you know. Think of how nine and three Frank Solich was looked at versus nine and three Bo Pelini. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eventually, they both lost their jobs, but I, I think there was more 
of a leash given to Frank Solich. Yeah. I mean, like, Mark Richt eventually lost his job for going, like, 9-3 and three every year, but, like, he lasted a while going, like, 9-3 and three every year. Uh, okay, on to our who is still alive for the college football playoff. Reminder on the rules. Number one, don't have two losses unless you're going to win the SEC. Then you can make it. Number two, for group of five teams, be good the year prior, play marquee non-con, go undefeated, and still hope for luck around you. Number three, if you lose once... Be in a Power 5 league, come against a good team, or if it's against a mediocre team, can't be a blowout, or if it's against a, bad, a very bad team, you're screwed, or get revenge. All right, so last week we were down to 20 teams alive, that now leaves 15 teams alive this week based on five getting eliminated. ACC, the only team left that has a chance of making the college football playoff is Wake Forest. Pittsburgh now out because they lost their second game. To Miami, who... Yeah. Speaking of a coach that, or a coach that might be looking at losing a job, um, yeah, I mean, I it's it's weird to think about, but I think we're still hurtling toward a Wake Forest, um, I, and I feel less and less confident. I think I said a month or so ago that I felt Clemson was going to give Wake Forest a humbling, and I feel less and less confident now that Clemson is um, where I thought they would be. I thought they would you know, come back to the pack, but I thought it'd be in the form of like a nine and three season. They're just flat bad. I, I definitely think Wake Force is gonna lose. They still play, I think, NC State. They still play Clemson. This week they're underdogs on the road against North Carolina. They probably lose one game. The the interesting debate to me becomes if Wake Forest goes twelve and one, like how how strong of a twelve and one are we looking at there? Right? Yeah, they would have to be like they're uh, not making it in over undefeated Cincinnati if they're twelve and one, right? Because I, I don't mean, know who their best win would yeah, be. Yeah, who would their best win be at that point? I mean, Clemson, but Clemson's not ranked right now. And probably won't be ranked the rest of the year. Especially if they lose again to Wake Forest. Man, that's a good question. I, and, I mean, the ACC is... Like, if they, if they have one loss, they would be the lowest rated of the five power conferences with one loss or less. And I do think Cincinnati would be ahead of him. I think Notre Dame with one loss would be ahead of him. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And Cincinnati would be ahead of Notre Dame, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't even know if they'd crack the top six with one loss as a Power 5 champ. That's just insane to think about. Mm -hmm. I, I don't even know if you could say that about recent Pac-12 champions. Well, because think about it. You, would even have, you could even have Georgia, Alabama, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Oregon. Did I say Ohio State? No, you haven't yet. They could I, be eighth. I think Alabama's going to lose another. They could, but two-loss Alabama, would they be ahead of one last week for it? I don't think. I think they should, but I don't mm -hmm. think they would. I just find that very interesting. But they're still alive for now. Uh, in the Big 12, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, all still alive. Oklahoma State or Baylor went out. They'd have one loss. Oklahoma, obviously, undefeated. Big 10, Michigan State, Ohio State, Michigan. Iowa is out now. They lost. Who did Oklahoma time. State lose to? Uh, Oklahoma State lost to Iowa State by three on the road. So if they went out, that would include probably two wins against Oklahoma. Yes. So, yeah, they would be in without a doubt. And they already beat Baylor. Yeah. Um, yeah. They'd be yeah in they, an, unde an undefeated Oklahoma State team would be in with it. really a one loss. No, they're not undefeated. Nope, they, they have yeah, one they loss. We yeah. just established mm -hmm. that's Iowa State. No, a one loss Oklahoma State team, given who they would have to be to finish out the rest of the year undefeated, mm -hmm. with one loss, they would, yeah, they'd be in. Um, Maybe. I mean, they, they, at least they're alive, right? Like, because this isn't just like, if you win out, if you take care of business, you make it. Because if Oklahoma State has one loss and you have Alabama beat Georgia, Alabama and Georgia are both making it if they both go 12-1. And, and then 
I don't know. That that's an interesting debate there. Like one loss Oklahoma State or undefeated Cincinnati. It's always going to come back to Cincinnati. Who's still um, in it from the Big Ten? Just 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 Ohio. Michigan State? State, Ohio State, and Michigan. Michigan just lost, but it's their first loss. They still play Ohio and State. And it was a good, I mean, it's a, it's yeah. a rivalry game. And it was, it was what, 37-33? Yes. It was a close loss. And Penn State remains the quote-unquote wrecking ball in the Big Ten. They didn't beat Ohio State. They did, did kind of give them a little scare. Um, but Penn State still plays Michigan State and Michigan. They can be kind of the party crasher here. And then I guess Wisconsin can do the same because Wisconsin's looking like the best team from the other division with Iowa losing. Uh, to Wisconsin, and if the Badgers go to the Big Ten title game at like nine and three, and they upset somebody in the Big Ten title game, that would be uh, very that, interesting. Yeah, the, the, well, I don't think. No, Wisconsin wouldn't make it. No, but, no, but yeah. I'm saying if, if Wisconsin pulls that mm-hmm. upset, here's a question: if if Wisconsin is anybody on that side of the Big Ten, um, the Big Ten, what East with Ohio mm-hmm. State and those guys, is anybody in that side of the bracket or side of the conference undefeated? Ohio, uh, no, Ohio State has so lost. Michigan, lost State, Michigan State, yeah. So if an undefeated, uh, yeah, if an undefeated Michigan State loses to a three-loss Wisconsin, then what? I don't think they get anybody in. I think they have a. That's a hard argument. I mean, I, I agree. I, I mean, I just don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Michigan State would have some quality wins there over Michigan, and if they wind up undefeated, Ohio that would State. mean they would have beaten Ohio State. I mean, at that point, they're probably going into. Big Ten Championship week ranked two. So could they fall to four? It's definitely possible. It just depends. But like, here's the thing. If they're 12 and one and that happened and you have 12 and one Oklahoma State, for instance, you're taking Oklahoma State if they won the Big 12, right? Yeah, because they'd be a conference yeah. champion. Yeah. I think that'll matter there. Uh, Pac 12, only other team, obviously, still live. They've been hanging their hopes on Oregon for a while now. Every other team in the Pac 12 has three losses. And Oregon needed to escape Cal. Mm-hmm. And- They've been good since then, though. Um, I don't know. I you're right. I, I don't know who's their one loss. So they lost um, to Stanford in a game that they got screwed on a, a pass interference call. Uh, Stanford was down 24-17 driving, and it was the, literally the last play of the game. Zero seconds on the clock. Okay. There was a bad pass interference call in the end zone. So Stanford moved up to the whatever two yard line, scored a touchdown, went to overtime. Stanford won in I think double overtime. Okay, and it's a road game, so an excusable loss to say the least. Here's what's really helping Oregon. So they just got the win at UCLA a couple weeks ago. That's a solid win. They should be a bowl team. The Ohio State win obviously is huge. Yeah. Um, the other big one for them, they beat Fresno State in the first week of the season, and it was a close win. And everybody Fresno was State's like, "Ranked now." Yeah, and everybody's like, "Oh, what's up?" They're, they're barely beating Fresno State. Turns out Fresno State's really good. They just beat San Diego State, who was a top twenty-five team. Fresno State beat UCLA, who beat LSU, who's like whatever an average team in the SEC. So uh, that helps them a lot. But basically, Oregon has to win out, otherwise Pac-12 is definitely not getting anybody in. And then uh, SEC has the most teams live because. If you win the SEC, even if you have two losses, you're still going to make it. Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, all technically still in it. Kentucky has two losses, but Georgia has clinched the East Division, so Kentucky uh, unable to make it. And then the group of five, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, those are the only two teams who have a chance of making it from the group of five or independence. Are they the group of five? Uh, well, lump them not. within yeah. the independence. It's just easier that way. Okay. Yeah. Because so, like, I consider Army... Below below Notre Dame in terms of what division they are, even yeah. though they're both technically independent. Yeah, I think people consider Army more Group of Five than Notre Dame, but yeah. 
just just for the sake of the the non-conference teams basically the non-power five teams maybe is the better way of putting it smu done they probably weren't gonna have a chance to make it anyway to be completely honest but done for sure you lose to houston san diego state game. yeah it was kick return to win it and then san diego state maybe had the slimmest of outside chances because they beat utah and if utah would have gone like 10 and 3 and won the pac 12 maybe that what would about, be enough what about utep but what about them they utep they have one loss UTSA uh, is undefeated. No, that's what I'm thinking of. But UTSA, UTSA has zero. UTSA's best win is like Illinois. So they're not. Okay. No, they have no chance. Their best case scenario is they finish undefeated and it's a cool season. They finish ranked like 10th or something. And they you wind know, up good winning for them. Yeah. One of the, a New Year's Six Bowl. I don't even know the if they'll get in it. Hopefully they do. I mean, yeah. if Cincinnati makes this the right, playoff. If Cincinnati makes the playoff, I think be the an, undefeated, highest, probably? an undefeated UTSA would, mm. would sneak in. I I. I'm speculating there, though. I don't know. That'd be cool for them. All right. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Kevin Flaherty joins us in 15 minutes. Coming up next, let's talk more college football. The first college football playoff rankings come out in about an hour and a half. Let's try to predict what the top 10 will be. That on the other side. Kevin Flaherty joins the show in about 10 minutes from right now. This is RCST with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. First college football playoff rankings come out tonight in about an hour and a half. I uh, have made it my duty to try to predict <laughs> the uh, top 10 of the college football playoff rankings each week. Last three years, I've gone 139 of 180, which is about a 77% clip in predicting it. 42 of 60 last year. Uh, this week's really tough. for this. For It always is the first one because you don't know how they're necessarily going to view eye tests versus resumes, but I'm going to take a crack at it. Georgia's clearly going to be number one. That's probably the easiest of them all. Uh, number two, this is where it gets interesting. I still think Cincinnati is going to wind up two tonight. Will they end up two? Absolutely not. Will they get jumped? Absolutely. Um, but right now, when everybody hasn't played all of their tough games yet, their win at Notre Dame represents one of the best wins in the country so far. Like, for instance, Alabama, who would be in contention for the number two spot. Their best win is Ole Miss, who's going to be closer to 15 or so. And then their second best win is at Mississippi State. So right now, Alabama's resume hasn't overtaken Cincinnati's yet. Plus, Cincinnati's undefeated. Michigan State would be interesting with the win over Michigan and then at Miami. But outside of that, it's, it's nothing crazy either. Real quick, let me ask you about Cincinnati. What mm -hmm. do you think is more likely? them debuting at second tonight or them finishing in the top four and making the playoff? Um, Honestly, I think at this point, like both of them are about a 50-50 proposition, right? Okay. Like I, the way I view it, if if Alabama beats Georgia in the playoff, they're both in the SEC championship and they both go 12-1, and they're both in. Big Ten champion is probably getting in at this point, like one of Michigan State or Ohio State. And then Oregon, if they win out, like that's your four if Oklahoma wins out. So, I think the, maybe it's less than a 50% chance Cincinnati makes the playoff, whereas I view them as being that two through four. Like So that'd be a 33% chance of each. So I'll say it's probably a better chance they start at number two tonight than end up making the playoff. Yeah, okay. but I think it's close either way. So three, I have Alabama, and that's interesting, the discussion between them and Michigan State, um, just because Michigan State is undefeated and they have the big win over Michigan. But they look at common opponents, and even though I don't necessarily always agree with this because – uh, the transitive property, we know it, it doesn't work a lot of times, but I think they might view Michigan State winning at Miami a little better than Alabama beating Miami on a neutral field. I I don't know. Or I, I'm sorry. Uh, Alabama beat Miami by 31 and um, Michigan State beat them by 21. So, like, I, I don't know. if Where they, was where was the uh, Alabama game? It was on neutral field. It was in, like, Dallas or something. 
So it's okay. So neutral, but it wasn't like neutral no. in Birmingham. Right. It was true neutral. So uh, I'm going to go with them, but I think Michigan State can be number four, which would be a few spots up from what they are in the AP poll. Because if you compare them to the next undefeated Power Five team, that would be Oklahoma. Oklahoma's best win right now is at Kansas State, or it's the neutral site game against Texas. I mean, that's not like a great collection of wins. Michigan State's win over Michigan uh, last week. Gives them a much better win than Oklahoma has. So both teams have had like a lot of games that have been closer than they've wanted. So I think Michigan State gets the edge there. Oregon, Ohio State's the interesting one to me. Um, and I have uh, Notre Dame at 10. I have Wake Forest at 9, Michigan at 8. I think any of those can be ordered in any direction. And I really have no idea what they're going to do with those three. But the 6-7 spot specifically, and I don't know, Ohio State could be higher. Because if you're going by eye test, they might be higher, but they haven't played a ton of great opponents. If Ohio State is already ahead of Oregon in the playoff, Oregon is probably screwed from making the playoff. That's yeah. I was, was kind of. I wondered if that's as soon as I heard you say if if Ohio State's ahead of Oregon, mm-hmm. I think you're probably right. Ohio State would have to lose again. Basically, yeah. if that's the case, then it would have to be like if if that's the case, then Wisconsin would have to win the Big Ten title to get Oregon in. Yes, because You'd have to just have a bad like a three or four loss team from the West upsetting somebody to win the Big Ten. Exactly. And and the reason why Ohio State, if they're already ahead of Oregon, despite having the same record, despite the fact that Oregon has the best first win of the two, despite the fact that Oregon has the better second win of the two, despite the fact that you could argue Oregon has the better third best win of the two, despite the fact that Oregon won the head-to-head over Ohio State, there is a chance Ohio State is in front of them. If Ohio State's in front of them, Ohio State still has to play Michigan, Michigan State, Big Ten Championship against Wisconsin or Iowa or whoever. They're going to have more opportunities to strengthen the resume than Oregon. So if they're already ahead of Oregon, it's done for Oregon. They're going to need some teams in front of them to lose. But I do think tonight, before those resume boosters for Ohio State kick in, because they haven't played Michigan or Michigan State yet, I think Oregon has the better resume right now, even though Ohio State might be better in eye test, but Oregon has the head-to-head, which I think gives them the edge. So I'm going to go Oregon 6, Ohio State 7. We'll talk more college football Playoff and some Big 12 with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports next. This is RCST. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. Welcome back. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Eric Johnson with Adam Dravetta, joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. So the first college football playoff rankings come out tonight, Kevin. I was just thinking about this. Um, Is there a a chance that, and I don't necessarily think this is going to happen, but that Oklahoma, despite being undefeated, the fact that they don't have any wins over what I would imagine are going to be currently ranked teams in the first rankings, the fact that they've had a lot of close games in there, is there a chance that they could wind up even behind like one loss Oregon and one loss Ohio State tonight? And what would that mean if that did happen? I don't know that they're going to wind up behind those one loss teams, but I do think that you're looking at a very real possibility that Oklahoma's sitting there behind one loss Alabama. And when you look at that, and a lot of people would say, well, no kidding, or, or obviously. But I think the thing that's interesting about that is you look at Cincinnati, where it's at, obviously Georgia, et cetera. You know, you could be looking at a situation all of a sudden 
where and, and Michigan State another one with the win over Michigan. You could be looking at a situation where Oklahoma is not in the top four, and and also a situation where unless Oklahoma kind of gets its legs underneath it, you know, it, it could be outside of that top four. Now, I don't tend to think that Oklahoma is in that much trouble. A big reason why is because of the schedule that Oklahoma has coming up. The Sooners have a lot of chances to, to get some quality wins between Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and then the Big 12 title game. And so if Oklahoma is sitting there undefeated, uh, I think that there's a pretty good chance that, uh, that the Sooners are in. I'd be really surprised if they weren't in. But at least for tonight's rankings, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were out there. Yeah, I'm really interested in terms of like all the – you know, would this team get in over an undefeated Cincinnati, right? So, like, Oklahoma, for instance, I think we'd both agree if Oklahoma goes undefeated, they're going to get in over an undefeated Cincinnati at that point. But let's say it's a one-loss Big 12 champion. So whether that is Oklahoma losing a game and then winning the rest, or if it were Oklahoma State or Baylor winning out and, and having one loss, who do you think would make it in, that one-loss Big 12 champion or Cincinnati? And see, then you're, you're starting to look at some of the other teams coming into play that, mm-hmm. you know, we just kind of dismissed. You know, you look at Oregon with sort of that sparkling win over, over Ohio State. You know, you look at, uh, you look at Ohio State and the chances that they have to, to get some quality wins and, and really being helped by Michigan season, I think, at this point. Uh, and, and so when you look at all those different factors, you know, I, I think Cincinnati would probably get in over if it were undefeated over a one-loss Oklahoma team. But I think the one-loss Oklahoma team would also face a lot of issues from from some of those other teams. Just in that, you know, depending on how things end up. And and granted, if if Oklahoma State closes out the season really strong, you know, it, it might be that that winds up being the the big win that people wind up circling for Oklahoma and being able to say, okay, they did get a really high caliber win against Oklahoma State. But at the same time, you know, it'll be interesting if Oklahoma has one loss, if Oregon's there with one loss and the win over Ohio State. If Ohio State is there with one loss and the only loss coming to Oregon, you know, you're going to have some real questions to answer because we've talked about this on the show before. Remember, the committee's not supposed to pick the most deserving team this isn't the ncaa tournament where you pick a team based on its resume they're supposed to pick the best four teams and so there's a lot of really nebulous stuff that goes into that and so depending on when the committee was watching them you know and and what they were seeing you know a game like kansas or or some of the other contests that that Oklahoma has had, you know, those could come back to bite the Sooners, especially if Oklahoma's sitting there with one loss and, and maybe they do get a couple quality wins, but maybe not quality wins by big margins. All of a sudden you're looking at a situation where somebody in a committee room is looking at Oklahoma versus Oregon and versus Ohio State and is asking themselves, is Oklahoma better than this team? Forget the resume, forget who they beat, forget all the rest of it. If they play on a football field, and ESPN's Heather Dinich confirmed, I think, this week, that that is something that they talk about in the the committee room, is just, hey, this team plays this team, who's better? 
that those are the questions that Oklahoma is going to have to answer, and it, it might not go their way if they are sitting there with one loss. Yeah, and I, I know you're not saying, like, this is how you do it. I I just think that's kind of a, a dumb way of doing it. Like, I... It's only a 12 game season, so I feel like the results need to matter more. Like, I the one I always think back to, um, I think this was 2010, the year that Auburn beat Oregon in the national title. And if you remember that year, that was the maybe this is 2011, uh, Alabama came back. Like, most of the players or a lot of the skill guys who won the title the year before were back on that team, right? And I think they ended up going nine and three, they lost to Auburn in the last game of the season in a close game and then they blew out like Michigan or somebody in the bowl game and if you just said like if you're picking anybody on a neutral field today you would still have that team as one of the like four best teams but how could you do that like the, the results have to matter you lost three times so I guess where where should that intersect between mattering yeah it's a great question because you're you really are looking at a situation where resumes should matter to some extent and, and and let's be honest, I mean, they have mattered. You know, it's not like they've put in, you know, a four-loss USC team. You remember, I think it was 2002, Derek, yeah. when USC kind of won that. They wound up being really hot at the end of the year, and nobody really wanted to play them at the end of the year. But they'd taken a couple losses over the course of the season, including the K-State, if I remember right. But, like, if you would have ranked people at that time, like, who's the best in college football I think most people would have had UCLA, you know, one or two or somewhere around there because they were just nuclear hot at the end of the year. They were one of the best teams in college football that year, even though, you know, they weren't going to play in the title game because they did take those two losses. And so, I mean, the resumes have mattered. It's not like they've put in teams with two losses or teams with three losses at this point over teams that, that have better resumes from that standpoint. But at the same time, you know, I, I do I do get the point of them trying to say, okay, we, we just want the four best teams because there's so many factors that go into it. And like you said, it's a 12-game season, so the results have to matter. The flip side of that is it's such a small sample size based on who you're playing, right? Mm-hmm. Because somebody – can have an easier schedule and that can impact the reason why they're undefeated or why they only have one loss versus somebody else who could have two or three losses. The two or three loss team might be the better team. It might just be that they played a, a rougher slate or, or had circumstances behind, you know, outside of their control. One of the things that'll be interesting to watch with Oklahoma in particular is the Sooners are starting to heal up on defense a little bit. You saw them look a little bit better against Texas Tech, you know, on that side of the ball and everything. And so I do think that Oklahoma has a chance to maybe, you know, play pretty well over the last few weeks and sort of cement their spot in the playoff, especially if they can avoid taking a loss. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Is there maybe a grouping of teams or one team specifically that you're most interested to see where they do pop up on the first rankings tonight? You know, Ohio State is really interesting to me because I think Ohio State, if you were picking today, you would probably say Ohio State is one of the four best teams in college football. But you also have Ohio State that's that's sitting there that took a loss to Oregon. And you have you know, Michigan State in that same conference that's, that's undefeated. And Oregon only has one loss. And so Ohio State right now 
is not the team that lost to Oregon. You know, C.J. Stroud has really figured things out. They've got, you know, the best group of wide receivers probably in the entire country, and, and he's really making great use of them and, and everything else. And so I think Ohio State is, is maybe the biggest divergence between where Ohio State should be from a resume standpoint and where Ohio State is from an ability and how good Ohio State actually is. Because I think if you just line the teams up against the wall and pick them, based on, hey, here are the best teams in college football, you'd probably still wind up picking Ohio State as one of your top four. I don't think Ohio State will be in the top four tonight based on some of those other factors, the loss, who they lost to, and some of the other teams you know, in that discussion. But uh, I'm interested to see where they're at because of, of sort of those two different factors in there. Yeah, I, uh, I I love with the Ohio State team. You mentioned the receivers. I was just thinking about this the other day. I was like, wow, that is the best group of receivers on a college team since, oh, wait, Alabama, like each of the last three years. <laughs> but, like, they've been they've been so good this year. Uh, I do want to talk a little Big 12 with you. Uh, TCU uh, will have a new head coach next year. Gary Patterson is gone. Last week we talked about the Texas Tech opening. Which of those do you think is the better job? And, I mean, how good of a job both in the Big 12 and nationally is TCU? You know, TCU, I think, is far and away the better job. I, I don't think it's close, Derek. And, you know, it's it's interesting because I, I've talked to a few coaches and, and some coaches who are interested in that TCU job even. And one of the things that they've had to say about it is, especially with the Big 12 being in this state of change and with Oklahoma leaving the conference and to a lesser extent Texas, you know, the Big 12 is really wide open for somebody to put their foot down and sort of establish themselves as the next Oklahoma or as the next dominant football team in the conference. And here you have TCU, you know, they've got great facilities and everything. They were paying Gary Patterson like a top 10 football coach, you know, and so the investment to football is there and everything else. And you're located, you know, smack dab in Dallas-Fort Worth, which obviously there's pretty great access to to talent there. And, you know, it's interesting because I think not that Patterson was a poor recruiter at all, but Gary Patterson was one of the best evaluators of talent I, I think we've seen. I think you can put him and, and Bill Snyder certainly into those conversations. and And so he found a lot of guys – you know, that went, fell through the cracks for one reason or another, went to TCU and, and played above what anybody really thought that they could do based on the way they were coached up and everything else. I find TCU to be really fascinating in that if you do get somebody in there who's really known for their recruiting, where that is their strength, you know, is TCU a school that, that really becomes a player for five-star prospects. And I'm not talking about the odd guy like Zach Evans, you know, who who was somebody that, you know, it felt like some teams had maybe passed over for, for various reasons or, or things like that. I'm talking about if there's a, you know, a top 10 guy in the country right there in Dallas or, or Fort Worth, you know, if you put the right guy at TCU, are, are they going to be able to go in and get that kid? And I think that that's maybe an area – where they could have a little bit of upside compared to where they're currently at, where, you know, the right person could maybe, you know, if they can find success and turn them into the kind of program that some people believe they could be, 
in the wide open Big 12, I, I think TCU is a, a school that maybe has some of that upside to, to really start producing, you know, top 10 teams year in and year out, especially with, uh, with sort of the, the void at the top of the conference with, with those other schools leaving. KU takes on Kansas State in the Sunflower Showdown on Saturday. Are, are there any ways that KU matches up that could help them out in this game? I mean, what chance do you give the Jayhawks of being competitive against uh, their in-state opponent? You know, the biggest thing, and, you know, it's the biggest thing is they just need to play sound football. And that sounds so simple. And, you know, I, I feel like we say it every week, but. You saw uh, against Oklahoma, you know, really what they they were doing from a run stop standpoint. Guys were in their run fits; they were where they were supposed to be. From a run blocking standpoint, they were moving guys up front. But even beyond that, you know, they were getting their angles right and things like that. They just played a really crisp game, and I know you can use some of that and say, "Well, Oklahoma wasn't really up for it," or whatever. But it still takes a lot of effort to move a 300-pound guy out of a place where he, you know, doesn't want to go. And so I think that that's the biggest thing is they just need to play fundamentally sound, smart football. And I found it so interesting, you know, Lance Leipold's comments after the Oklahoma State game went the way that it did and quarterback Jason Bean where he basically said, you know, in the majors – you know, a pitcher gets shelled from time to time. And, you know, that that was maybe the, the thing for, for being against Oklahoma. He was very comfortable with what he was asked to do and, and was very comfortable making the throws and the runs and the different things that, that they put on his plate against Oklahoma State. You know, I, I think early on he, he maybe got out of the right headspace. And so if Kansas just stays within itself, if Jason Bean can can establish that comfort level, yeah, I, I think Kansas can play with Kansas State and maybe make this game competitive. But I do think that it's not the sort of thing it, – it's not the sort of thing where it's it, – it's not an even contest. And I don't think I'm surprising anybody when I say that. And what I mean by that is, is it's not like Kansas can just show up, play its C game, and be in this thing. Kansas needs to play its A game, and and the Jayhawks did that against against Oklahoma. You know, they showed some A game stuff against Duke. You know, earlier this year from an offensive standpoint, and and I think that the defense is starting to come along a little bit with some of the things that they do, and so. If those things can click again and Kansas can can play the kind of game it's capable of playing, then yeah, Kansas can be competitive in this one. And you know, you hang around long enough, who knows what can happen? All right, we're talking with Kevin Flaherty of Twenty Four Seven Sports. Kevin, before we let you go, we do a new segment with my uh, co-host and producer Adam Dravetta. It's called One Last Thing with Adam. All right, Kevin, one last thing. Would you rather go to a restaurant with excellent food and terrible service or bad food and excellent service? See, I, I'm an excellent food, bad service guy. And I, I have to say, you know, there are some <laughs> people I know, I have friends that, you know, if their water isn't out, you know, the second that their glass gets to, you know, a third empty, you know, their the meal is ruined for them. Like, the, you can't even talk to them pretty much because they're just sitting there, you know, glaring into the general direction of where the waiter is going to be. That's I've never wrong. been that type of person. If if I'm going out to eat, you know, 
I'd like good food, whatever else. If the meal takes a while, if service is a little bit off, that doesn't that doesn't really bother me a, a ton or maybe not as much as other people. So I, I got to go with the great food. So real quick, we only have a few seconds left, but just to, to piggyback on that, what if it's a like the food's fine, um, the, the, the service is fine, you get everything in a timely manner, but the server happens to be like really, really rude for no explicable reason. Would that bother you? You know, it bothers me a little bit, I think, because I'm an outwardly friendly person. And so, you know, I'm the type of person my wife makes fun of me because I'm the person that tells the fast food workers to enjoy their day. Ah. <laughs> and so, like, and so if I'm, you know, if I'm going out to eat, I'm probably being friendly with the waiter or waitress and, you know, and, and being nice to them. And so if they're just really dismissive or whatever else, I'll, I'll be honest, that could be the thing that maybe puts me into a funk a little bit. All right. He's Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Kevin, thank you so much for the time as always, man. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. That's Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017-1320-KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. All right, Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, joins us now on the show. And we start Matt off, as always, with a difficult question that we should have prepped him for beforehand, but he's going to have to think about while he talks on air, but he'll answer it like a professional anyway. That is a long way to say this. Uh, what's going to be more, either Jason Bean total touchdowns on Saturday or Cam Martin made threes tomorrow night against Emporia State? Oh, my God. This is the <laughs> best one yet. Uh, well, to be honest with you, uh, because today was KU Basketball Media Day and because <laughs> they have the exhibition game tomorrow night, I completely forgot that football was happening, mm. even though I was at Leipold's presser today. And so when you said – It was like eight years ago. Yeah, I was like, whoa, what are we talking about football? <laughs> so I'm already more thrown off than normal by your uh, just slamming out of the gate there. Mm-hmm. But the question is more touchdowns by Bean passes or three No, just total touchdowns. Campbell. You get all, total the, all touchdowns. the touchdowns, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, man, that's a hard one. I think you have to take. I think you have to play the odds here and take Cam Martin. Even though he's never played in in a Kansas uniform, even though we don't know how much he'll play, period, even though they have 150 other guys that could play instead of him or ahead of him or whatever, that's what they brought him here for, is to shoot three-pointers and make them. And so even on Jason Bean's best day, he's probably maxing out at four touchdowns as like a Really good day. The smarter money is probably on one or two. So then the question becomes, does Cam Martin make one or mm-hmm. two or two or three? I think he's I think he's going to be looking to shoot it when he's open. I think he'll get open. He should be able to shoot over guys um, because Emporia State, although they do have a couple of big guys, a um, couple of 6'10 guys, I just don't know how comfortable they'll be out there on the wing if he's out there. So, Long answer. I'm going to take Cam Martin. It's not as easy as I originally thought, though. It's it really isn't, and maybe they'll push, and everybody will win. 
Yeah, there we go. Uh, don't know what anybody will win, but they'll win something. Um, you mentioned that KU Media Day was today. And I don't know, I got a lot of great information from it. Like I found out that Bobby Pettiford is the best singer on the team and that it is indeed pronounced Yesufu, not Yesufu. So uh, I'm sure you found out maybe a little more uh, good information than me. What was your favorite thing or maybe most, uh, I don't know, telling thing that we heard from either Bill Self or, or the players earlier today? Yeah, um, well, obviously a big part of today was, was the suspension um, Jalen Wilson's four mm-hmm. game suspension. So, you know, taking the news angle out of it for a minute, and I assume you were probably going to want to talk about that anyway. So, taking that out of it for for a minute, um, you know, I, I think one of the things that was really interesting to me is is it didn't matter if you were talking to Zach Clements, who's a true freshman and experienced in this whole thing for the first time, or Joseph Yusefu, who's been in college but is experiencing college basketball season opener at Kansas for the first time or you were talking to David McCormick or Ochai Baji who have been here done that and been at Kansas their entire careers every single one of those guys and others really gave the the, the sense that these guys are are so excited for tomorrow night even I mean I, and I think a huge reason for that is because of what they've gone through the last year and a half or so you know I mean uh, last year although it was great to play ball and those guys loved that they got the opportunity to do so it was a weird year it was a different year and so they're all new sort of new old whatever it is they're all just jacked to have Allen Fieldhouse rocking again tomorrow night. They're excited to have fans in the building and and really get that full experience. And so I I think uh, it'll be in my story tomorrow, but McCormick even told me, he's like, I'm more excited for this than Christmas. He's like, it's basically (laughs) like another Christmas, you know. And and I know some of those Christmas talks can be cliche a little bit or whatever, but but it really was was a theme. Um, It really was like whether you're brand new and it is new or you've been here, it's like a, a, a fresh start, a new beginning, because you had it taken away from you. And, and so it's cool because normally some of those guys, of course they'd be excited and it's what they do and playing at the field house is always a blast for those guys. But, you know, it's still an exhibition game against Emporia State. It is, it is much harder to get up for one of those than it is, say, you know, December 11th when Missouri comes or January 29th when Kentucky comes, you know. And so those games are not this one tomorrow night. But you got the feel, or at least I did today, that that doesn't matter to them right now. They are they are feeling that same vibe as if one of those games was tomorrow night. And, and that's pretty cool because it has been a long time. And, and, you know, people have had to sacrifice, and a lot of people have missed out, and the, and the players have missed out not having the fans there. So for them to be that locked into the excitement and, and, and really – kind of pushing that vibe today was was pretty cool We're talking with matt tate of the lawrence journal world kusports.com you mentioned the jalen wilson news and obviously like you said he's going to be suspended the exhibition plus three more games after that who do you kind of look at as being the at least in the short term the the roster solution for missing jalen wilson is it just moving those wings like christian brown and ochai down to the four and playing more of the two-guard lineups with Remy, Joe Yesifu, uh, Dewan Harris, Bobby Pettiford, or do you think that maybe somebody else kind of emerges into that other uh, kind of four-man role? No, I think it's the guards, and I think Self made it pretty clear today. I mean, in addition to saying how much he likes the four-guard lineups, 
Um, he, he did he did flat out say he doesn't know how much two bigs they'll play this year. Um, and, and, and part of that is personnel. I mean, they've just got so much talent in the backcourt. And then when you have a guy like Jalen Wilson when he's back, or you have a guy like K.J. Adams or Zach Clements who can kind of be that hybrid big man guard and play on the perimeter a little bit, you know, it gives you an opportunity to do that. But, but um, you know, he said tomorrow night it'll, it'll be Dewan, uh, Dewan Harris with Remy Martin and Ochai and, and Christian Brown all starting, and then they'll, they'll start next to David McCormick, of course. And, you know, I think that that's going to be a tough lineup to beat. Um, I, I think Jalen Wilson will have to do a lot right and, and put in a lot of extra work probably to crack that lineup when he's back in – you know, uh, Orlando, if that's the first first time he's back. Um, because that group's good, man. Those guys will be able to get out and go. They have shooters. And I think a huge a huge part of whether that lineup that we just talked about there is successful or not will be the idea of, of rebounding the ball. How good can Christian Brown be? How good can Ochai be? And, and, of course, you know, can David McCormick do what a big man's supposed to do? He didn't always do that last year. He had plenty of big games down the stretch. Um but he wasn't always a, a rebounding a rebounding factor, and, and Jalen was almost every night. So, um, I, th- I think that's where they'll have to make up the most is 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 on the defensive glass. They'll just have to say, you know, hey, we can get points elsewhere, we can get shooting elsewhere, we can get toughness and tenacity and energy and all those other things we can make up for, but. We've got to make sure that with Jalen Wilson out, we've got enough guys who are who are you know junkyard dog mentality and willing to get on the glass and not afraid to do it. Because Jalen showed he was great at that last year, and I think he should be even better this year. Um, his, his 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 body looks different. It looks remade. His legs look stronger. It sounds like he's been more explosive, and uh, you know. So I think he was poised to. to to break out pretty early and uh you know maybe he'll still have plenty of time to do that when he's back but um but while he's out they're going to need somebody to make sure they fill that role and so i i think he'll play a lot of four guard looks you know you can still then pull in guys like joseph yusefu and uh perhaps pettiford um you know and 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 then you just kind of keep that other that other idea of well, who's backing up, Dave? That's that's what you do with your big guys, and and you know when he needs a breather, who goes in, and and for how long? So I, I think that that was something we kind of learned today. Now, you know, self flat out said this too. I mean, the guys that play in these first few games will will quite possibly be a very different group than the guys that are playing regular big minutes in February and March. You know, so. Um, it is a work in progress, and there is an evolution that takes place, and 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 chemistry, and and you know, guys clicking together, and who plays well with who, and things like that. That that factors in every year, and it, and, and this year will be no different. They just have a lot more options this year. So, um, if you ever had to lose a guy who started 26 games for you the year before, and is kind of a you know a centerpiece of your uh, of your puzzle. Um, this is the year to, to do that for a little while. And, and uh, with Jalen out, they'll be, uh, they'll be fine without him. And, and uh, I'd imagine it'll fuel his fire to come back and, and not only take care of business off the court better than he has, but, but to, to really uh, make up for lost time when he is out there. One of the guys that is kind of the idea of him playing and be part of the rotation 
who's really grown on me over the course of the offseason is K.J. Adams. It just seems like every time we hear from his teammates or self talking about K.J. Adams, like it's it's glowing reviews about what he can do for the team in terms of his hustle and ability to play defense or rebound, make winning plays that he doesn't necessarily need to score. And I wonder if with Jalen Wilson you know, out, even if you are playing a lot of the four minutes with Christian Brown or Ochai Baji, one of those wings, I wonder if it's a perfect opportunity for him to kind of seize a role. I was kind of already going to a point where thinking if they are going to play a 10-man rotation, like maybe he would be part of that rotation. But I definitely think with Jalen out, like he is going to be a guy that gets consistent run. Yeah, if you were looking for the one guy on this roster that like could could in, in a lot of ways mimic uh, and, and fill Jalen Wilson's shoes almost, you know, to a T, I, I think K.J. Adams would be your first choice because obviously it's not DeWan Harris. You know, I mean, DeWan does other things great, and he's going to be a – I, I, I've said this before, and, and a lot of people have. I mean, I, I think KU fans are going to love him more this year than they even did last year, um, and, and probably right away. But, um, but, but when you're talking about a guy who's not afraid to get on the boards, um, a guy who can shoot it from the outside a little bit, a guy who's got some size and strength to him, but also a guy who can move like a guard and, and play on the wing and things like that, that's K.J. Adams. Now, he's young. He's, he hasn't experienced this. It's all brand new to him, and there's going to be a learning curve that takes place. Um, so you can't expect him to be as polished as Jalen or or as, uh, you know, obviously he's not bringing the same level of experience to the floor either. But just physically and pound for pound and, and from a pure role standpoint, I, I think K.J. Adams is, is, you know, if you had to say, if, if someone forced Bill Self to just, well, pick your most Jalen Wilson-like guy to, to replace him. I mean, I think that'd be the answer without even thinking about it. So, again, the luxury that, that Self and his coaching staff have with this team is that they don't have to do that. They can get creative. This opens up an opportunity to look at different lineups. They can juggle this, 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 and this. They can mix and match. I mean, there's all kinds of things that they can look at and probably will look at for a lot of this season, or at least for the early portion of it. But there's no doubt in my mind that K.J. Adams has positioned himself to, to be a factor, to be in the rotation in some way, shape, or form. And I asked him about that today. You might have been standing there with me when I did, but you know, I asked him, why, why do you think you're getting all this love? Because it's not just Self that's been talking him up. It's, it's his teammates, and um, there have been a lot of guys that have given him a lot of praise over his, his effort at boot camp or early practices or whatever it is. And, you know, I mean, he, he basically, when I asked him that question, he basically just said, I think it's just because I bust my butt. And, and, you know, there's a guy that we heard about in very similar ways just a couple of years ago who was kind of opening everybody's eyes and, and kind of the darling, if you will, of the preseason, and that was Christian Brown. And it was the same, same freaking thing. It was like, well, we all love Christian because he busts his butt. He'll go dive into a wall. He'll go jump over a table. He'll go climb over Doak and whoever else is in the way if he's got to try to get a rebound, and he'll do it with a smirk and a smile. And, and you know, KJ's not maybe as, as tenacious in that way yet, but um, he, he's got a similar style to his game, and I think that that's uh, – anybody that's been around self for any length of time knows that's exactly the types of guys he wants on the floor. So if you play like that, if that's your best foot forward and that's what you lead with, he's going to find a way to get you out there. It may not be 25 minutes a game, but it might be. 
But either way, you're going to you should probably get some opportunities based on that. And so I, I think that's cool that, that KJ's already recognized that, and maybe that's how he's wired. You know, some guys come in that that are already ready to play that way, and and they're not necessarily trying to do it because they're at Kansas or trying to do it for any particular reason. They just that's how they play, and and that may be him. So I I think it'll be really fun to watch him evolve and grow into whatever role he has this year, and. Even if that stays pretty small, even if that's not a major, major role this season, I don't think there's any doubt that it will be in the years to come. I mean, I, I think that uh, that K.J. Adams, I think that Zach Clements, and I think that Bobby Pettiford, too, all three freshmen, I think those guys have many, many, many starts coming in their Kansas careers. And uh, I, I think they're all going to be guys that, that you look at the same way you look at Ochai or, or McCormick or – Marcus Garrett last year or whatever. I mean, I think they're just going to be solid, steady players in their, throughout their careers, and, and uh, we'll see what kind of opportunity they get as freshmen. But I would imagine all of them should get some kind of opportunity, and, um, you know, they, they all seem ready for it, too. They, they seem excited, just like McCormick and his talk about Christmas. Uh, those guys are dying for tomorrow night. They cannot wait to see what this is all about because they've heard it a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand different times from different people, and and they're on the cusp of finally feeling it for themselves. That's pretty cool. And and I think a lot of these veterans today were saying that, like, yeah, they're excited, but they've been there again. They've they've played some big games and and won some big games. They're excited for these young guys to get a taste of of what they know Kansas basketball is. We're talking with Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Matt, before we let you go, we do something with all of our guests now, Adam Trevetta, my co-host and producer. Uh, one last thing with Adam. All right, Matt, one last thing. Um, I'm asking this specifically to you because you're a sharply dressed guy. Would you rather go around wearing lost and found clothes from the gym <laughs> everywhere you go or have to sleep in a suit? Hmm. Would I, so it's a would I rather? Is yeah. That, is that the deal? Yeah, you, 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 you have to wear kind of crummy, really, like, lost and found gym clothes everywhere you go, or you can dress how you do now, but you have to sleep in a suit. <laughs> yeah, I'd sleep in a suit. And, like not, a suit. Oh. and not your birthday suit. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, you just lost everybody right there. They just all changed the channel. But, uh, um no, I'd sleep in a suit, man. I'd, no. I'd even sleep in a tie. I'd, I'd, I'd go for it, man. And and man, you and um, I are polar I opposites, man. I dress like a, I dress like a, I'm a, from the slums. I'm bald. I mean, I'm a, you have great hair. You dress perfectly. We are, we couldn't be more different, man. <laughs> well, if I find any lost and found clothes, I'll send them your way. And, Thank you. And uh, you know, and and if you. Uh, if you ever get in any problems where you have to sleep in a suit and win a million bucks, just call me and we'll sub in. And, you know, I'll rough up my hair a little bit and put on some different glasses and grow out a beard and we'll win a million bucks and we can split the money. You're on. I'll take that. All right. Yeah, I don't know who would do that, right? I, I don't think anybody would ever offer us that. They probably wouldn't even offer 10 bucks. But, you know, if it happens. I'll see if just, I can get a crowd for crowdsource. If somebody yeah. ever offers me a million bucks just for the just to get in a bed, I'm going to need a big-time background check on them. <laughs> all right with that that is matt date of the lawrence journal world KUSports.com. matt thank you so much for the time all right thank you guys have a good one all right you too that is matt tate lawrence journal world KUSports.com. with adam dravetta i'm Derek johnson you're listening to rock chalk sports talk on fm 1017 1320 klwn and klwn.com depend on it